Hello, I'm Alex Davies, founder of Wealth Club, and today I'm with Oliver Bedford of Canaccord Genuity Fund Management to talk about the Hargreave Hale AIM VCT. Hello, Oliver. Hi, Alex. Um, firstly, for those who don't know, tell us about Hargreave, the Hargreave Hale AIM VCT. So we've launched our first AMVCT in 2004, which was just about the time that I joined Hargreave Hale. Um, we launched a second in 2007 and brought the two of them together in um, 2018 uh, just to create the one VCT. Um, I've worked on them for uh, my all of my time at, at uh, Hargreave Hale and now Canaccord, initially as an analyst, um, but then more recently as sort of co-managed since 2011 and, and lead managed since, um, since 2020. Um, Funds have grown a lot in size over the last sort of 10 years, and we've been able to, to use that to invest back into our team. So now we've got a good team of five people uh, working full-time on the fund. And uh, we've also been investing in our board too. So we now have six directors, five of them independent, and uh, we've drawn on those heavily in recent years from outside of sort of fund management, venture capital, looking to bring in sort of fresh thinking and experiences so that they can challenge the way we do things. We can look to innovate and improve and sort of continuously develop. Okay, and for the uninitiated, could you um, just quickly tell us the difference between an AIM VCT and a generalist VCT? Sure, I mean, you know, they're, they're different strategies. I mean, ultimately, we're, we're both styles are investing into small uh, UK companies, um, but you know, maybe a different mechanism into it. So, you know, as a uh, investor, principally into public companies, um, you know, our deals are often source through brokers. Um, the diligence burdens falls on them, uh, which means that our sort of time resource. To, to do a deal in those situations is, is less. Now, it has some advantages. It means that uh, in terms of efficient use of our time, we're able to consider smaller unit sizes into companies. And that means that we may take a view on companies where there is sort of less commercial maturity. Um, perhaps the business is not as built out as it might otherwise be, but we're comfortable putting a small amount of capital in, knowing that as it develops, uh, grows, and it requires further investment for people, resource, infrastructure, etc. And we'll get opportunities to to follow on if things are going to plan. So, you know, unit size is one uh, difference. So that diversification, if you like, uh, and that helps um, as I'll come to later on. Uh, but also, you know, public companies have liquidity. Now, clearly, you know, in end companies, it's not always perfect, but we're spread across a good number of companies. Um, so we're able to, in our estimates, realize about 40% of our NAV into cash within five business days under sort of certain uh, market conditions. The other one is that with liquidity, you can uh, afford to make partial disposals rather than full exits, uh, enabling us to run, run positions for the long term. And, and we've got 13 companies that we've now held for more than 10 years. And that brings with it a bit of maturity in the portfolio. So you know, our average qualifying company has got a market cap of just under 200 million. It's supported by 92 million of revenues on average. So these are small companies, but they're not necessarily startups. Now, obviously, conversely, with public companies, you get volatility, um, and particularly on name companies. And you see circumstances where individual share prices can move very materially, both higher and lower. But across a well-spread portfolio, that sort of effect is dampened down. And if you look at our sort of NAV volatility in the round, it sort of tracks broadly in line with sort of the volatility you might see in the FTSE 100. So, you know, sometimes a bit higher, sometimes a bit lower, depending on the circumstances. Obviously, in today's market, it's a little bit higher. And what type of companies are you looking for? I think we, you know, we remain very open-minded. Um, you know, we're across all uh, sectors. 
uh, both within this VCT, but also across the other mandates run by Canaccord. Um, I think it's important, and it's been borne out by experience over time, to be open-minded. It's the opportunity that's in front of you. Um, you know, on first view, it may not look like the most exciting company, but given time and, and good management team and resourcing, they can develop into substantial companies. So we're always open-minded to what's coming through of us, and we'll, we'll make a judgment based on the merits of the business plan, uh, the commercial position of a company, and obviously the quality of the management team as we see it. And the types of companies you might avoid? Well, again, I think the same thing. I don't think I would ever go and say, you know, that company is not something we would necessarily want to see in our portfolio because, you know, over years we've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, as I said, some companies might not necessarily on first view look exciting and, and but turn out to be long-term winners. And equally, companies which may look very uh, exciting, and you know, on first view might turn out to be things which are more challenging in terms of delivering long-term value. And could you give us some recent examples of investments you've made and why? So, you know, three, three examples in, you know, recent uh, times. So uh, we've just done a follow-on round into Aracle. It's a biopharma company. Um, it provides, uh, sort of using its proprietary platform, it provides uh, reformulations for existing off-patent drugs uh, to its clients. Now, that drives with its service revenues, but also as those products come to market, uh, they can generate royalties too, uh, so particularly high-quality revenue stream will emerge, we think, in time. In addition, you know, it has its own development pipeline where it's looking to build two products into diabetes. Uh, these are known chemical entities, so some of that clinical development risk is, is taken away. And you know, that provides some interesting you know, economic upside potentially in time. But the core business uh, you know, is built around a service business, and it'd be like the management team. So uh, we're excited about Aracor. Um, We've also made an investment into Anaraqua. It's a sort of uh, water and energy efficiency specialist. So they provide services to local authorities and housing associations uh, looking to reduce water consumption and, and obviously reduce energy consumption, driving CO2 uh, and cost savings as well. So it's a large market. They've got a good contracted order book. Uh, and we think that you know, the opportunity is there um, you know, for many years to come. And then finally, we recently invested into Equipmake. Uh, they manufacture uh, automotive transmission and powertrains for uh, electric automotive applications, but also aerospace um, and transport. Uh, they are a relatively small business up in Norfolk, 70 employees, doing around about $4 million in revenue. Uh, they have good visibility uh, over the current year, but a significant pipeline. And they recently raised £8 million through an AIMIPO to enable them to invest into people, to uh, exploit the opportunity they see. And it's clearly you know, a market that's developing. It's a large opportunity and um, you know, they've got a lot of experience out in that domain. And what about some of the more established companies you were in? Any particular highlights this year? I think, you know, I mean, lots of companies are, are continuing to trade well, despite, you know, the current uncertainty. Um, Eagle Eye, we've been invested in since 2014. Uh, it has a sort of digital loyalty and promotions platform uh, that is used by a number of large retailers, initially in the UK, but more recently into Canada and the US. I mean, obviously, for retailers, it's always been important to stay close uh, to your customers to drive uh, loyalty and retention. And uh, you know, in the past, that's been often done with coupon-based strategies. You know, Eagle Eye's digital platform allows a more dynamic, more intelligent uh, loyalty solutions. They've done really well in the last 12 months. They've had numerous uh, or multiple upgrades uh, as their existing client base uh, develops, uh, but also as they've won new significant business in the US and, and elsewhere. Uh, surface transforms, I think we spoke about this time last year. Um, so just a quick update. 
they manufacture carbon ceramic brake discs. Um, these, uh, you know, these are used in uh, often high performance cars, but also in electric vehicles. Um, since, uh, since we last spoke, their order book has grown from 40 million to 190 million, and they've moved into serious production for a large uh, US automotive manufacturer, uh, which has actually now put them into profit in both July and August this year. So a bright future, I mean, their uh, carbon strike brake discs are often either sort of span, standard specification or, or available as, as upgrades to, to these particular models. And have you had any exits recently? Now, as, a, as a sort of public company investor, we're always looking to refine our you know, portfolio to, you know, uh, to, to adjust out companies where we think uh, performance isn't what we want or where the thesis is challenged or um, you know, just the outlook is, is too challenging. Um, the you know, last 12 months, we've made 12 uh, complete exits, uh, uh, realizing a gain of around about 36% of a book cost. So a lot of this has been about just us, if you like, tightening things up. Uh, we've had one sort of notable exit. Uh, Ideagen was sold um, very recently for about a billion pounds. Um, in truth, it's a bittersweet moment for us. Uh, we've been a shareholder for 10 years. And you know, yes, it's great to be able to talk to you about you know, an exit of 37 times our initial investment and 15 times our average book cost. But in truth, we're losing a business which was very substantial, very well managed, um, had significant profitability, and we're selling governance risk and compliance solutions, which generated long-term recurring revenues. So, you know, a great outcome, but also, you know, it's sad to lose such a high-quality company. In fact, it was our largest public company investment at the point uh, that it was eventually sold. So, Amos... Um experience a bit more of a challenging environment. Um, how's that affecting the portfolio? So I think that clearly the last 12 months have been you know, difficult, not just for AIM, but for sort of long duration assets uh, globally. And, and you know, this uh, current bear market had its genesis in the US initially, uh, where you know, highly valued tech uh, came under pressure following sort of changes to, to expectations around US monetary policy. Um, so that's been sort of making it difficult. And, you know, the NAV has, has suffered as a result. Um, you know, we've got a, a fall of about 27% since the start of our financial year in, in October 2021. In contrast, however, our corporates continue to trade well. Um, and we've been very pleasantly surprised by that. So we track the news flow and 80% of the updates we've had since the 1st of October last year have been in line or ahead of expectations. So there's been this big disconnect between, um, you know, what we've seen in the NAV, but also... Uh, what's uh, been going on in the underlying companies. Now, of course, some of that is the market is a very efficient discounting mechanism and people are reflecting on the challenges on input costs, on labor availability and supply chain disruption. But also they're looking ahead and thinking about um, you know, the outlook more broadly for the economy as central banks look to reduce aggregate demand to, to make sure that the current inflation issues don't become uh, too enduring. So, you know, the lot of pain, I think, has been priced into you know, individual companies and, and in, therefore into our NAV. And is it affecting your company's ability to raise funding? So I think it's typical when you see a bear market to see deal flow activity fall. And we've obviously all read about that in the news recently. Um, but I think that's what you would expect. Uh, you know, for corporates, when they want to raise money, they want to sort of try and come into the market when they feel confident that they're going to have a successful outcome raise the funds they want and, and also to get the valuation they want. So, you know, when volatility sets in, you initially would see deals flow, but um, deals uh, slow down and, and be postponed. But I mean, ultimately, these are growth companies. So unless they're going to change the business plan, they will require funding. And uh, after a sort of quiet period in the three months to June, uh, we've seen deal flow pick up. So 
you know, as I sit here today and we're into our last month of, of our financial year, we are, we've deployed capital ahead of budget again, um, and we have a good pipeline. Now, this um, you know, almost seems counterintuitive, if you like, but you know, when you think about the current environment, um, you know, companies will want to ensure they feel financially resilient, if you like, going into the more difficult times that we might be about to endure. So you, know, you see that, but also you know, if you go back to 2020, you know, after initial lull in deal flow, deal flow was really strong in the second half of that year and also very attractively priced. The same was also true in sort of 2009, 10, 11, after the financial crisis. There was a lot of deal flow available. Banks weren't you know, there perhaps in the way they might have been previously for, for corporates. And so I think we are excited about the opportunity. And that's why we've come out with an offer. How do you feel about the outlook for AIM over the long, longer term? So I think, you know, just quickly to deal with the short term, um, you know, we, we expect um, you know, the market to remain difficult, I think, for, for the next few months. I think, um, you know, certainly at least the next few months. The you know, corporate earnings in the season that's just finished and the reporting that's just finished have been surprisingly resilient. Um, and I suspect that, you know, given the way that the sort of economic backdrop is evolving, that there's probably still some downward pressure on earnings which need to come through. I think it's difficult for the market to, to find a bottom and to rally meaningfully until sort of investors have got confidence that this is trough earnings that they're looking at when they're trying to value companies. Equally, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty around inflation. And until there's some more clarity on when it's going to peak and what that peak might look like, again, I think it's very difficult for people to, to sort of commit sustainably to the future. So in the short term, I think it's going to remain difficult. But, you know, growth companies, growth investment, whether you're talking about in the UK or elsewhere, over the long term has got, you know, has provided good returns to investors. And I don't think that's going to change. So you know, I'm very optimistic about that some medium and long term, whilst cautioning that short term is difficult, potentially. I mean, no one knows when the bottom of bear market is going to be reached. You know, and we also know that every bull market is born out of a bear market. So Timing is difficult. Um, we're talking about an investment into our fund for at least five years. So I look ahead and I think, yes, it might be difficult. might be difficult to time the bottom. But given this disconnect between the NAV and corporate earnings, given you know, where we sit, I think the medium-term opportunity looks pretty good. And finally, Oliver, um, for people who are looking to invest in VCTs this year, why should they consider the Hargreaves Hale Aim VCTs? Well, we've got an established uh, mature VCT. Uh, it's got a good scale. Um, we've got a strong team around it. Uh, we've invested heavily into resource, both in the fund management team, but also onto our board. Uh, we've got a mature portfolio of companies. It's very well diversified. So whilst you know, individual companies might suffer some, some difficulties, I think we're well placed to absorb the, any shocks that come through. And then looking ahead to the future, as I say, there's been this disconnect between NAV performance and corporate earnings. And noting that many of our corporates, their successes won't come down to where interest rates peak or whether the UK grows GDP by 2% or minus 2%. I mean, if you take that case of Aracor, you know, their success will come down to the quality of the service they deliver to their clients and whether they successfully develop um, their clinical products. And you know, that's true for technology companies as well. So um, I think that uh, I'm optimistic about the outlook in the, in the sort of medium and long term. Um, I think we've got the right kind of portfolio. We are always deploying capital into new companies, but it's in relatively controlled ways. And uh, it's in the context of, of a fund that's got a good overall asset allocation. Oliver Bedford, thank you very much. Thanks, Alex.